welcoming to the Keon Sports Podcast. Our guest today, Ricky Morton of the Rock and Roll Express. It's been a huge, huge, huge week. Our biggest week ever at Keon Sports. You've heard from Dr. Death Tom Pritchard. You've heard from the interview that went absolutely global viral. The world is talking about it. Terry Runnels and Brock Lesnar. You've heard from UFC fighters Sean Shirk and John Fitch. And now... The one and only Ricky Morton graces us with his presence. Sit tight, put your feet up, and grab something cold to drink. Up next, Ricky Morton. Alright, on the hotline now, uh, you guys know him, a staple of a lot of childhoods out there, the Rock and Roll Express. WWE Hall of Famers, but most of their career really spent elsewhere. Almost all of their career spent elsewhere. And really, this was this was a tough interview because I, I try to limit these interviews to like you know twelve questions at the most. And this is one where there could have been a hundred. This has been such a legendary career. Let's bring him on right now. The Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morin. How you doing, sir? Man, uh, right now I'm a little hoarse and I don't know why. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let me get a drink of water. But uh, Ricky Morton. He's always doing good. Awesome. Now I wanted to ask you: Did your did your father's career as a referee first pique your interest in the business? Uh, yes, it did. But uh, you know, later on, I didn't want to be a wrestler. I grew up in the wrestling family. My dad, uh, the referee, he wrestled, but he pulled the ring and refereed the matches for different promoters and. It was our job to go with him, you know, and for a while there. And at that time, the whole wrestling was, was different, you know. I mean, every wrestler weighed 500 pounds and out of shape. And, uh, and it, you know, it, but I like I had my heroes. I mean, you had your ones that were great because at this time, is especially in Tennessee, there's a wrestler, Lynn Rossi, and, you know, he looked like he was chiseled out of marble. You know, mm-hmm. he looked great, and, and I, I liked him. And, and your Jackie Fargo's, and then your, and the greatest heel I still think in the business was Tojo Yalamoto. So yeah, picking my career, yes, I mean I grew up in the wrestling business, and and then you know as I got older, I really did find out that it was my destiny to be a professional wrestler. So in 1983, and if I have any of these facts or dates wrong, just let me know. But in 1983, I have it. Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler presented you and Robert Gibson with the idea to tag together and call yourselves the Rock and Roll Express. What sold you? Uh, go ahead. Okay. I'm sorry. No, what sold you on the idea of moving from singles to tag? And how would you explain your uh, pretty much instant chemistry with Robert Gibson? All right. Now, we're going to do this whole thing over again. And you understand me at 1983, uh, Jerry, Jerry didn't have nothing to do with it. Okay. Uh, okay. I was working in, uh, San Antonio, Texas for Joe Blanchard. Tully Blanchard was a booker. Matter of fact, uh, myself and Ken Lucas were tag team partners. You know what? And the reason I, I was tag team partners and don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm like a squirrel. I'm jumping everywhere. Uh, is because uh, my daddy always told me, he said, let me tell you something, tag team wrestling is going to be the future of our business. 
And this was in the 70s when he told me that, 79. So I teamed myself up with a lot of people like Sonny King. And then I went to the most underrated babyface ever, Ken Lucas. And that's who I was partners with. I was even partners with Eddie Gilbert. But that's who I was partners with in San Antonio. And Jerry Lawler came all the way to San Antonio, Texas. And at this time, Jerry, Jared, and him were fighting over because the, they had the fabulous ones uh, that came in. And, 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 and understand me, they were a thing off Jackie Fargo. And Jackie Fargo was real over. And boy, Jerry Jarrett really gave him a push. And when you're a part owner in a territory, mm-hmm. and I'm going to go back to this in a minute, remind me. Sure. Uh, Jerry Jarrett was the man. I mean, Jerry Lawler was a man. And the way things were running. So he was going to go opposition in Memphis to Jerry Jarrett. And he came to San Antonio, and he told me, he says, I, I want you to come back to Memphis. You got the fabulous ones there. I'm going opposition. I need me a tag team. Would you be interested in coming back? And, and, and yes, I was interested in coming back because you know, at that time, I lived in Nashville, Tennessee. That was where I'm from. But, I mean, that's where I'm from, Nashville. And to me, it's like coming home. Uh, me and my wife just had our first baby. And, and I wanted to bring him back to, to Grandma and Grandpa to, to see him, you know, raise up here. So we came back. And then when we came back, Jerry Lawler and Jerry Jarrett made up. And now we're second fiddle to the fabulous ones. Okay, but, but Jerry Lawler and Jimmy Hart put us together. Uh, now, here you go, Ricky, Robert, R&R. Uh, Express, uh, Rock and Roll Express, Jimmy Hart. You see what I'm saying? Yep. And actually, we didn't even know. I mean, we come in on, on Memphis. They advertised us on Memphis TV on a Saturday, a new tag team, the Rock and Roll Express. Jerry Lawler had some long tights. He let us borrow. I mean, let us have. And then we went to a flea market. And we were looking at rock and roll books, you know, at the time, the magazines, sure. to get ideas. And then uh, we went to the flea market, me, Robert, and Jerry Lawler. We bought bandanas, feathers, all kinds of crazy stuff. i never forget, we went to the ring. And you know what? And me and Robert had great chemistry. We hit right off the bat. Uh and, you know, and the guy told me, he said, man, when y'all come out, I didn't know if y'all was gypsies or Indians. <laughs> but from there on, uh, man, you know, Robert and I, we we were a great tag team. And I'm not trying to, uh, to you know, knock anybody or, or anything. But when Robert and I went to the ring, couldn't nobody follow us on the babyface tag team side. And then we had the opportunity when Bill Watts seen us to leave. But now I'm going to get back to what I was telling you earlier about being in the territory. Because people ask me all the time, Ricky Morton, wouldn't you love to have territories come back? Well, I know I wouldn't. And the reason why, 
is because in our business, and this is the way Robert and I got a break, and I tell guys this all the time, you have to be at the right place at the right time. And you have to know what you're doing when they ask you. Well, see, uh, us being in Memphis, you know, because most of the time, the top, you babyface on the territory. And I don't give a damn if you're another babyface, you're never going to get over him. Yep. Uh, you see what I'm saying? Absolutely. So you're playing satin fiddle. Now, if you're a heel, you have a good run, six or seven, eight months or a year. And then you finish up and you go to another territory because you put the baby face over. Mm-hmm. Now, see, now what was lucky about us is Bill Watts, you know, he owned the Mid-South Territory. He was a top baby face. Uh, nobody beat him. You know, he won. He carried the territory. But then he wanted to retire. Now, this is what's so good. Right place, right time. It's right when our business is really changing. Robert and I had a hell of a gimmick, the Rock Roll Express. Bill Watts is wanting to retire. We go in to do our first TV in Louisiana, and I don't want you to listen to me. See, Bill Watts just finished up an angle with Abdullah the Butcher. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. So now they got a new hill coming in. So they have to turn Abdullah babyface. Now, do you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely, yeah. Or he could put over the other heel that Bill Watts is working with. But Bill Watts decided, you know, he wanted to retire, and he's looking for something new. And he didn't want a booker in his territory that was just, just going to push himself because that's what bookers did. They pushed themselves in the territory. That's why they never really... And we had one of the greatest bookers in the world, Superstar Bill Dundee. And he'd come in, and, you know, we showed videos that we shot of us in Memphis. You know, it was like MTV, dude. You'd never seen shit like this before. Uh, We'd come in, and all of a sudden, when you come in, you know, still Abdullah the Butcher being your top babyface, you got got two All-American kids that I think that were pretty good, you know, superstars. We were rock and roll stars. And one thing, when you draw girls to the wrestling, cause which they never have done before, when you draw girls to the wrestling, you got to draw guys. You know, and uh, that's just the way it is. Uh, Robert and I, you know, Bill put us with the uh, same thing we did in NWA. When we come in and we beat the Russians, uh, Ivan and uh, Barry Dorso for the, mm-hmm. for the NWA titles. Well, see, we was with... Uh, Nikolai Volkov and Barry Darso. You know, both of them are workers, buddy. They knew our business. And, and dude, you know, when you got people in the ring that can work, you can have great massive matches. And, 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 and that's like the days, guys. Before you can do my business, you got to understand my business. And, and a lot of them don't. You know, like the, it's, I got to get my shit in. And then, uh, and then whatever happens. Yeah, we're actually having Nikita Koloff on the show here in a couple of days. Um, and, you know, I'm glad you brought up Bill Watts because you, you transitioned perfectly into my next couple of questions. Um, yes. You know, a couple of questions for you here about Mid-South. One, really, what was it like to work for Bill Watts personally as a, as a, a promoter, a boss, a, a booker in a way? A lot of people have said a lot of things about him running a real tight ship. And then number two... In, in general, the Mid-South Territory, there were so many big names that come out of there, whether it was uh, a Hacksaw Jim Duggan or a Ted DiBiase, a Junkyard Dog. 
just kind of, you know, even Magnum CA, who were some of the biggest names that you thought came out of Mid-South? And again, what was Bill Watts like to wrestle for? Okay, I want to start off what Bill Watts was like working for. Bill Watts is the owner of your territory. And listen to me, you've never had no trouble. Bill Watts asked you to be there an hour before the show. Okay? Mm -hmm. That's all he asked. Okay, now, if you had a regular job from, you know, every day, and you you got to clock in at 7 to start to work, and if you clocked in at 7.15 every day, they're going to fire you. You understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. That's all he asked from me. And then another thing he asked is we're professional wrestlers. We just popped this territory. Okay? He wanted you to look like who you were. He didn't like you to wear shorts or flip-flops. He didn't like you to wear a t-shirt today. He liked you to look like the guy that people think you are on TV. And that's all he asked. Robert and I were the only two that could wear blue jeans. And I thought it was, you know, because we were the Rock and Roll Express. And they had to be nice. You had to wear a jacket uh, to the matches. So when you own a multi-million, well, at the time, you know, Bill Watts told me, you know, he had his territory for 10 years. He made more money in the two years that Robert and I were there than he ever made in the whole 10 years uh, together. But I got along good with Bill. I guess uh, I was a candy kid. But besides that, I just did what he told me to do. He was the boss man. He owned the place. And that's what I, you know, I respected about it because of, uh, you know, I have my own wrestling thing uh, nowadays. If you want to, you can watch every Sunday. It comes on YouTube at the School of Morton at 4.05, and I use all my own talent from my school, and I do really good, but I have rules. And if they don't abide by them, they don't wrestle on TV. Uh, they don't make my, my shows that are run because I have rules, and that's just the way it is in any business that you work for. My hat's off to Bill Watts. He run a tight ship. And that's the reason the territory was really successful. Bill Dundee took over it uh, for there. But you, and now speaking about uh, a lot of great talent, yeah, you know, man, you, yeah, and it's unbelievable. You couldn't believe how over Junkyard Dog was in uh, in Louisiana. I mean, he it really made him one man gang. Uh, God, he was uh, unbelievable. And, and believe it or not, Barry Dorso being a Russian, that what gave the idea to Dusty to bring Barry in to be with Ivan Koloff and Nikita Koloff. Uh, Nikita at that time is just started in the business and he was greener than he was, you know, greener now due to, uh, I would say, but what, but if you get Nikita on your show and I tell a lot of stories, but get Nikita to tell you about the one I worked with him and I locked up and he hit buddy me. Okay. Uh, I want you. I want him to tell you that story, okay? Okay. Uh, but it was. Uh, I mean, uh, but other than that, uh, you know, the Nature Boy Buddy Landale. That's where he really uh, developed at, matured at, and uh, into our business. Uh, Butch Reed. Uh, gosh, I mean, it, it can go on and on. But but you're getting me to think back. You know, forty years ago. <laughs> so <laughs> it's. Uh, it's kind of hard. I mean, our business was great. You know, like you said earlier, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, uh, a lot of things. But see, territories were, were different. You know, Bill Watts' territory was hard. It was hard, excuse me, because 
at that time in 1983, you know, we, we lived in Alexandria, Louisiana, which was north of Louisiana, and it was based right in the middle of everything. But see, the, it was only one interstate, and that was Interstate 10, and it was south of Louisiana, and it only went east and west. See, but and when you're in a territory 350 miles, and it's all two-lane highway, uh, man, I mean, it was it was a hard territory. But I wouldn't take nothing for it. Matter of fact, uh, I had one of the best learning experiences, one of the best times in Louisiana, because at that time, the, the boys depended on each other. And uh, it wasn't that you had a million-dollar contract. You got paid, well, they say you did. You got paid by how many asses in the seat. But I always remember this. The promoter always got the first count. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> No doubt. You know, so how big was the move eventually to uh, Jim Crockett Promotions and National Television for the Rock and Roll Express? And eventually everybody knows it becomes WCW later on. But at that time, to go on cable, how big was that? Uh, It was real big, you know, because uh, now I'm thinking about the future of Robert and I. Uh, we wrestled for Bill Watson, and guys, let me tell you, it, in our days, going into territories and popping territory, the, you do you know understand what I mean by that? Oh no, not about Pop, it. Popping a territory, mm-hmm. you know, you go in there where they usually do eight hundred people, and and then you're selling out ten thousand dollar houses. So you see what I'm saying? Ten thousand people in some of the arenas. Uh, you know, Robert and I love, love the. And I got a, in Louisiana when we went there, you know, Elvis Presley, that's where, you know, we broke at the time because you didn't have all the big arenas like you do now. Robert and I broke Elvis Presley's records in every arena that we went into. Uh, we broke, and a lot of times we have to go in and go, you know, the advance we sold out, we go out the football stadium, especially uh, in the summertime. But uh, going to, uh, See, it was the same way. I was, as a matter of fact, we were in the Superdome uh, wrestling. And I had Muhammad Ali there that night. Oh, yeah. And, uh, okay. Yep. He was refereeing. And, but I want you to understand this here, dude. In 1983, when you go into the Superdome and you have 40,000 people there, that was unheard of oh, yeah. in our business. Okay, that's where so c- close circuit TV came in. Then here come, you know, the idea of pay-per-view. You see what I'm saying? Before all that, this is where all these ideas come in. And I think that Robert and I had a big part to do with that. But I'm thinking, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm in the Louisiana Superdome, and, and Muhammad Ali was in there. And I, and I love Muhammad Ali. He's one of the greatest people I've ever met in my life the greatest of all time uh, and he was the greatest of all time uh, Muhammad Ali his personality was so unreal but he was sitting there talking to me and I had my oldest son now I think is 38 years old he uh, he was a little kid and he was because I had him at Superdome he was playing in the floor with some cars Muhammad Ali was down there and everybody was coming in and Muhammad Ali told him just go on, I'll be here. I'm, I'm 
sitting there talking to this kid right now, and this gentleman talking about me. And we were talking, and I noticed a little guy come in. And he's just walking around, and everything got through. And they walked out, and, and, the, and the gentleman come over to me, and he just said, hello, I'm uh, Jimmy Crockett. I'm the owner of North Carolina, Middle, Mid-Atlantic. I'm planning on going on nationwide TV, NWA. He says, I have heard nothing but good stuff and unbelievable. Ric Flair put y'all over like a son of a bitch. Talk about this and this and this. He says, I would love for you. He said, Dusty's coming in to be our booker. Uh, but we, but, but didn't, and, He's going to use everybody i like for y'all to be our top babyface tag team. So, man, you know, it surprised me. Matter of fact, that, that night I was working with Ted DiBiase, Dr. Destiny Williams, I believe. And uh, I told him, I said, man, Jimmy Crockett said he'd come here to watch me and Robert tonight and bye-bye. And I never forget, Ted DiBiase told me, he says, and we're going to give him something to see, too. By God, we did. Man, we tore that place down. Uh, but uh, we, me and Robert, talked about it. And I gave Bill Watson to, you know, but, but, but we were doing good there. The territory was on fire. But I have to look out for me and Robert. Do you understand? Uh, this is bigger, better nationwide TV. And instantly, you know, uh, I gave my two-week notice, and Robert and I, we went the following Tuesday at Shelby, North Carolina. See, back then, Mid-Atlantic, it hadn't hit TVS yet. You, you still had the bicycle tapes. You know what I mean by bicycle tapes? Uh, it's where it's, you know, it, you did TV in Charlotte, but it wouldn't show to Richmond to the next week. Sure, sure. And it, it, that's a, you know, it, it was a whole territory. And uh, we came into Shelby, North Carolina, and Dusty uh, made one of the best decisions ever in his life. He he put the NWA World Tag Team titles on Robert and I the first night. And see, this is what I got to tell you about working. And a lot of people would say th anything about Dusty, too. Dusty was a smart son of a gun in this business. I listened to him. I learned from him. Uh, you know, it's like right now, you know, just get the job with a big company. And it's not about that. It's the people that that are already there. They don't want me there because I know what this business needs. I don't have the answer to everything. But when you take a little school of Morton down here, you got guys that some of them, you know, a lot of people get on to me. Why do I train him for? Because he has dreams too. Maybe he might not make it in WWE, but the dreams that I'm giving him are coming true. And I, do well with them and i learned all that from dusty uh you know dusty you know me and dusty had a bunch of fuck you fights uh but that's just the way it is in business but when he put the world titles on us robert and i were instantly the biggest rock stars in the world and i'm serious i don't give a shit about acdc or nothing I mean, everywhere, dude, you couldn't. We'd come into town for wrestling. They had to shut the town down. They had to, I mean, many a times they had to get, we couldn't get to the damn building. The police 
they put us on a police helicopter and flies in. These are stories that people know nothing about. These are stories that people, uh, you know, it, when I tell people, sometimes you don't even believe me unless you were there. Uh, you, I mean, you go into little towns like Florence, South Carolina, a spot show, and there'd be 20,000 people in a football stadium to watch Robert and I wrestle the heels. But it wasn't only us. It was a whole territory. Uh, it, I was at the, and that's, this is what I'm trying to say. you at the right place at the right time. And the thing's done it. Uh, but I enjoy, I mean, it's, NWA was there. It's, it's never going to be another time like this in the business. Because... You know, it's not about the business anymore. It's about me, and that's what it's all about. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <clears throat> no, it's... You got to be on a roll there, fella. Hey, I, I interviewed uh, Dr. Uh, Tom Pritchard a couple of days ago. I was talking with Tom Pritchard, and he shares a lot of the same you know, similarities of what you're saying. He agrees with a lot of that. So, you know, it just goes to show if you've, if you've been there and, and you've done it and you've achieved unbelievable levels, you have, every, you have every right to speak out. I mean, the, the business nowadays is so different um, than what it probably should be and what everybody grew up with. And, you yes. know, when, when it comes to wrestlers paying their dues and, and things of that nature, it's completely different now. And it is a shame. But I did want to ask you, you know, because in the NWA, you, you started to have <clears throat> more success than I think a lot of people even thought possible. Because at the Great American Bash in 1986, you end up taking on Ric Flair for the world title. I mean... If that's not gigantic, you have a tag team wrestler going into singles, taking on the champion of the world, Ric Flair, on a major pay-per-view. And then on top of that, you know, a few months later, you're, you're tagging again with the Rock and Roll Express, and you take on the Andersons at Starcade. I mean, really big stuff against the Four Horsemen, a couple, you know, back-to-back pay-per-views. Would you say that was one of the biggest peaks of your entire career? Was that stretch in 86? Yeah, but it was, and, and 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 listen, this is where you go into the politics of our business. Uh, and and let me, I'm sitting here thinking how to word this, okay? And and I'm not ashamed to say this, and I don't give a damn what anybody thinks. 1985 and 1986, I I think that I was the greatest wrestler in the world. And if you don't believe me, just ask me. Okay, <laughs> no, but what I'm saying, I'm, nobody, I understood this business. This is the reason I, I would like to work for a big company, but I don't want nobody's job. I just want my job. And my job is to be, is to make them understand what our business is about. I watch the TV. I watch everything that's on there. And I'm going to get back to what you asked me here in a minute, but turn on the TV. Every wrestler looks like they're they're out of a cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. They all look the same. Yep. I mean, everything is the same. There's an, every interview is is the same. You know, it's not about and 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 then it's trying to impress your friend. See me, I wasn't the greatest talker in the world, but I got my point over. Uh, I didn't go out there. If you notice when you go back and you look when we, me and Rick started our feud, he'd come in the ring on me. I'd back up. Because he, you, you understand me, I backed up. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to fight until he backed me into the corner, into a wall. And it's just like any animal. You back them into a corner.
whatever, they're going to come out fighting. And see, and, and that's the way I put this together into my head. And understand me, when you see Mid and Ric Flair do the angles, like, you know, like on TV, when, he, when I slapped him, he, broke, he slapped me, I broke his glasses. We did, that wasn't written down. We didn't have an agent or whatever you're going to say, a producer, to write that. Me and him just went out there and done it. That's what happened. And see, that's the part about understanding our business and and, and doing the right things. Uh, the politics of our business, when you get over, like Robert and I were, sometimes some people try to end it because they know. Okay, and I'm going to tell you this right here. A lot of people don't know this. You know, I beat Ric Flair for the World Heavyweight title, but I gave it back to him. Uh, and now, understand, man, Rick had the greatest. I mean, when we first started our angle, me and him went 17 days straight. An hour. Broadway, what I mean by that is a draw. time limit Yep. every night. Now, we did Atlanta TV early in the morning, okay? Then we had an afternoon show, we'd do an hour. Then we'd do a Saturday night show and do an hour. Sunday, we'd have an afternoon show, and then Sunday night and do an hour. 17 days in a row, okay? After that, we did about... I think six or seven hour and a half time limits. When I met, uh, you know, and, and you talking about the, the one in Charlotte, the Great American Bash, which was great. But you see in Charlotte, North Carolina, we did 40,000 people. Yeah, I mean, you can look at it and it looks like the, but see on one side of that football stadium is full. You know, and it's unbelievable. They only had so many seats on the ground because of security. The security for Robert and I, you, I mean, you couldn't believe it. I mean, people going to the ring, tearing my clothes off of your shirts uh, until they got good. Go back and look at some of the tapes. Go back, and what I'm trying to tell you in those days, Robert and I were rock stars. Listen to the pops that we got when we came to the ring. It's nothing like that no more. Nothing even like that no more, unless you got, you know, unless you're at WrestleMania. But, and there's a point I want you to understand too, bud. Mm -hmm. We depended on each other in our business. I see a lot of people that work on top. Now you're standing up and you're in water up to your chin. Okay, that's being way up there in our business. But the water is six feet over my head. Do you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. I carry territories. I virtually carry them until the point, you know, that is so much on me. You know, when, when they fired us from NWA, uh, if you very recall this, Jimmy Crockett sold it to Ted Turner three months later. That's how over Robert and I were, okay? 
we went to small we left and we went to smoky mountain wrestling that was jim Cornette. i love jimmy jimmy's different uh i don't give a shit what he does in his life and i don't give a shit who he knocks he can talk bad about me every day of his life i don't give a shit when i see him i still hug him mm-hmm. uh it's just the way it is the boys in the territory depended on me to feed their families Okay. Oh yeah, you need to draw the tickets. Houses, they depended on me. Uh, we went to Smoky Mountain Wrestling. We put greatest pay there, and the Jimmy, uh, something happened in the territory. He fired me. Three months later, <laughs> there was no more Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Do you see what I'm saying to you? Right. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I knew how to carry a territory. I knew, and other people that thought they knew. See, it's a lot of people in our business think they know everything, but really what it boils down to, they don't know shit about our business. They don't know shit. The writers they got in WWE right now, they need to fire every fucking one of them. Uh, and I'm not shitting you. I mean, what do they do? You got Jeff Hardy throwing piss on somebody. That's terrible. Uh, Oh, yeah. Okay, but listen to me. If that is all they can come up with, get rid of them. I don't know what the ratings are for WWE or the ratings for any of the shows. But listen to me, guys. There's people out here that know what they're doing. I might take us a month or two to get used to get to the system of, of what's what's happening there. But we can do it. Okay, I don't want your job. I want my own job. And my own job is making, and this is what I go all the way back to the first of our interview, is to make you understand what my business is about. You don't understand it. You think you do. You think that when you go out there, you know what you're doing. Our business was so sacred in our days you know how many times, I mean, you didn't get your finish, you know, that morning. You didn't get to sit back there. You never seen the hills. You never seen the baby faces. Uh, look up some of our old matches, especially in Louisiana, when Robert and I wrestled at the Midnight Express in, in Houston, Texas, and watch this match. Dude, back then, if you talked to a hill, if you even hung around a hill, you got fired. When you work for NWA, you never dress in the same down dressing rooms. You're on the other side of the building. You can't talk to each other. And the finishes to our matches, 99% of the time, the referee gave them to you when you got in the ring. That's how sacred our business was. They didn't want nobody to know, especially when you're doing big businesses and you're doing a million dollars a week in, in gates. I mean, you, you're trying to sell your product and man, and that's what they don't understand. I, uh, in my, in my deal with Ric Flair, Rick, and I'm going to tell you this, Rick was the greatest world champion there ever is going to be ever was because one thing that Rick did, and this is what I made us, he made sure that when you bought a ticket to watch him, he gave you your money's worth, and I'm not shedding you. I have wrestled all over the world I, and on the independent circuit. And, and listen to me, fella. 
I wrestle guys that tell me, uh, well, you know, when I go out here tonight, the people are probably going to cheer me. Well, I tell them they're only going to cheer you because you want them to. That's the reason why they're going to cheer you, but you can change them in a heartbeat. Ric Flair was the most over son of a bitch you ever been in your life in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, Philadelphia was the biggest hill town that you could ever imagine. They hated every baby face. I don't give a shit who you were. I went to the ring with Ric Flair in Philadelphia. Rick always went to the ring first. I like that because he was a world champion and to see because he listened to the people too. I come out and they're cussing me and throwing shit, you know, you pussy, you, you know, you die, bye, 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 bye. But in 10 minutes in the match, and this is an example, and this is a true story, Rick and I, we're going to do an hour in Philadelphia. Ten minutes in the match, Rick had changed the crowd. They're throwing stuff. Babone, Art Anderson seen it. He come down. Robert come down. Now they done pushed the guardrails all the way up to the ring. People are trying to get in, in the ring, and Arn to pull them down. Robert to pull them off the ring. And back then, over the top rope was a disqualification. And Rick said, man, listen, I might, I'm going to tell you over the top rope. He said, if I don't, they're going to kill me and Arn. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's what our business is about. And you guys don't understand that now. You see, that's how, that's, that's what you got to do in our business. That's understanding. And that's, that's why Rick's the best world champion ever. I have people that tell me who's the greatest worker you've been in the ring with. In my day, all of them were. Even the job boys. But you knew your job and you knew what to do. Back then, you couldn't even get in a business like you can now. Shit, I don't know. You meet so many different wrestlers today. Everybody I meet's a wrestler. Uh, think they are, but you see, I still don't put them over. Yeah. Okay. No, no doubt about this it. Is my business. Uh, and, uh, all right, man, go ahead. You, I mean, you better you get me on a roll. I don't shut up. No, it's all good stuff, and, and like I said, I agree with all of it. You know, uh, growing up watching it, I, I know you're telling the truth there. And you know, one of the biggest one of the biggest feuds that people still talk about today um, is you know, and a lot of people feel it's one of the greatest tag team feuds of all time was uh, the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express. One of those deals where it just seemed to go you know on and on over the decades. Why do you think the the Rock and Roll Express versus the Midnight Express works so well? It's greatest. Hit. Chemistry in the world. Uh, yeah, you know what? And I'm glad you mentioned that because maybe not right now, but later on in our, in our wrestling history and world, we will go down in the history book as the greatest feud in professional wrestlers. The Express against the Express. Everybody in the world hated Jimmy Cornette. Uh, we had some of the greatest matches and that's just what I was telling you this is even before we went to NWA when we wrestled go back and watch some of the matches in Houston Texas because you make everything mean something uh, a lot of people don't know Dennis Condry when he was uh, in the Midnight Express that's who Bobby Eaton learned from Dennis Condry was one of the best workers ever 
in our business, the best chemistry, green savvy. Uh, you know, it's just a kind of being in the ring and, and, and leader of the pack. And when you got that much heat, you see, and, and, and look to today, you got a manager on WWE or something, the baby faces can't wait to get their hands on them to get that little pop. Go back and watch ours. I would never touch Jimmy Cornette. You see me chase him, get to him, but I would never touch him because it would take the heat off of him. He knew that. If you notice, when the heels screwed us in the match, they got out of there. They didn't stick around and stay on the microphone. Nope. They, you know, they didn't do stuff like that. They, they, they won and got out of there. Uh, that's what's wrong with our business today. The heels don't know how to keep their heat. The baby faces really don't know how to get over. You know, when you sit back there and you go over your whole match, you know, like it's a playbook in NFL football. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm talking about a play. It don't work that way. See, that's what I like to do. I, you know, before I'd even wrestle people years ago, I'd go out and, you know, watch them wrestle. And you see, that's, that's how you'd learn what they do. See, a great baby face a great baby face has changed his style to wrestle any heel. You said it wrestle Abdullah the Butcher the same way I wrestled Bobby Eaton. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But nowadays, everybody wants to do that. You can't give Abdullah the Butcher a Hurricane Karata. <laughs> you hear me? No, 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 no. Yeah. You can't. It, you know, that's what it, it's cookie cutter. No. Okay. That's what you got to do. You got to, a baby face has got to adjust himself to work with a heel. The heel don't change his gimmick. The baby face does. Mm -hmm. And the greatest thing in the world for a baby face, this is the greatest thing in the world for a baby face. Even Hulk Hogan did it. Hulk Hogan was an over son of a bitch. Hulk Hogan wasn't the greatest worker in the world. But one thing that he did do, and that was sell. When a baby face sells, it always works. Look at Hogan's match. He sold, ripped the shirt off, made the comeback, and went home. Sold out everywhere they hit. Yep. Smart. Nowadays, it's like the, they're scared to sell. And I tell everybody, you know, it's like me. Dude, I'm not in the ring still working to impress anybody. And if you want to impress me, eat an apple shit a fruit salad. That would impress me. I'm here because I didn't make the millions of dollars. You hear me? My biggest year in the business, and you don't think Jimmy Crockett ripped us off, was $125,000. That was in 1986. Wow, that's it? Yeah, that's all. And that was only one year. Wow. Okay. That's crazy. Robert and I had the Rock and Roll Super Summer Sizzler Tour, the fan club. Well, you got a life-size poster, a record, a record that we put in there. And listen to me, in real life, you know, we should have went, instead of going gold and platinum, it should have went plywood. <laughs> but we sold over a million copies of it because it went into the fan club package. We sold over a million Rock and Roll Express fan club things 
It was 1995, buddy. That's $20 million. We didn't get one fucking dime for it. Jeez, oh, man. But you see, but you know, understand me. This is why I have my son that's breaking into the business, Kerry, and I'm trying to teach him the right way. Uh, And the right way is right now is you're going to get your education because I was at that time wasn't educated enough to know that Jimmy Crockett raped us. <laughs> he sure. totally raped us. Uh, but it's all right. I'll still wrestle now because it's the only thing I know to do for a living. Uh, I have my wrestling school because I know what I'm doing. I love to have a job with some big company. You see what I'm saying? For I can step by the ring. I know I'm too old to get in the ring. I can still go though, but uh, not like I not like I did ten years ago, <laughs> you know. But I, I I try to give the people their money's worth. I'm not trying to uh, to be somebody I'm not. Let me let me ask you something about the politics. Yes. Okay, because this is curious to me. My next question was this. And when we talk about politics, this makes a lot of sense. In the early 90s, all right, you come to WCW, it turns into WCW, okay? Yeah. Now, you have faces like Lex Luger, and you have Sting, and then they made uh, uh, Ron Simmons, you know, a babyface. So, to me, this is politics. They turn you a hill, which I think is bizarre as, as it gets, because why would you turn this red-hot babyface hill before you even give him his run? Were you shocked? I mean, what was your attitude towards that? Or did you just feel like it was more of the politics? Nobody wanted you touching their spot. I just knew that was coming. Uh, at, the, at the time, Robert hurt his knee. Mm-hmm. You hear me? He got his knee tore out. i tell you that story here in a minute. You'll love it. But uh, Robert got his knee tore out. And, and I was there. And uh, listen to me. When you got top baby faces, you, the ones that you just mentioned, yep. they don't want me to be a baby face. Exactly. You hear me? I'd go out and work Stan Hansen and absolutely blow the roof off the building. They go out to the ring with Stan Hansen and be too scared to run from him. They didn't know how to work with him. You understand what I'm saying there, buddy? It's not understanding the business. They didn't want me there. They did, you know, I needed a job. Yeah, that's the politics of our business. You hear me? Yeah, I mean, no sense. You know, but listen to me. It happens. All the damn time. Uh, nobody wants nobody wants you to get over them, and it don't ma- make a difference. Do you get that? But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They, they might act like you're their best friend. They'd be stabbing you in the back the whole time, <laughs> knocking you to death to the promoter, to the booker. Uh, watch it. See, that always gets you. I get madder than a son of a bitch, and I let them know, man. Yeah, one of the boys, I hear him say something to promoter, promoter about that match. And I tell him, I said, the promoter didn't even watch that match. So why are you saying that to him for? All you're trying to do is knock him. And this is one thing I learn all the time. And then I used to tell the guys when they come back, I says, when you come back and Dusty or Bill Watts and them asked you about your match, tell them it's the greatest match you ever had. And they said, look at me real. I said, yeah, because they don't watch the son of a bitch. And if you said your match sucked, they're going to check into it and see why it sucked. Yep. You see, it might cost you your job or they have a job. Hell, when you come back, best match I ever had. 
give a damn who you wrestled. You hear me? That's just <laughs> see. I, I stood up for the boys, uh, and I did all through my life. You know, I stood up for them. I didn't let nobody mess. I didn't let the promoters mess with them. You can't fire a guy. Hell, he's got a house here and he's got a family, two kids and all. What you just gonna let him go? No, you don't do that. Give him a time to find another job somewhere else. Uh, instead of doing that, but got my ass fired a million times. And the reason why is because I stood up for what was right and what was wrong. Now I'm going back to here to tell you about where Robert got hurt. <laughs> this is what kind of guy I am. You stop. If you don't understand it, think about it for a couple of days and you will. Okay. I was in Knoxville, Tennessee. We were sitting there, and I'm in the dressing room, and Robert's just quiet as a motherfucker. He's sitting over in the corner, in the corner, and I walked over to him, and this is, uh, what's wrong with you, Robert? He goes, I hurt my knee last night. I said, oh, really? And, I, and I'm walking off, and I'm thinking to myself, you hurt your knee, you didn't even get in the goddamn ring. <laughs> Hardly. Uh, then everybody left. Then I went over to him, I says, uh, know what happened to you and he told me he said my wife ran over here in the car <laughs> okay yeah. Uh, oh yeah he pulled his pants down and his whole leg was black knee swollen up like a son of a bitch and i told him we were rising butcher reed and ron simmons Doom. a lot of times it's mind over matter I told Robert, I said, listen to me. When we go to the ring, Butch and him and Ron are already be in there. I says, I'm going to go out that curtain and I'm going to get the people's attention. I'm going to go up on the stage here, blah, blah, and you get to the ring the best way you can. I will try to make sure nobody sees you. Okay. You, do you understand what I'm saying? Yep. So I get on there, I got the people done, and I see Robert up on the ring, and boom, I come back to the people, and we got them going real good, and I get in the ring, and, and I told Robert, I said, I'm going to start this match off, do about 10 minutes, then when I tag you, you trip over the rope, that your knee, you know, your, your knee fucked up, okay, mm -hmm. okay. I did my thing, but ba ba ba. Robert fell in, came in the ring, and he went down. Butchery went, What's wrong with you? I said, Man, did you hear his knee pop? Yeah. Mind over matter. Yeah, I did. Okay, so that was for WCW. Wow. They didn't want a lawsuit. All right, got Robert in the back. He got his knee hurt in the ring. They sent him to the University of Alabama with the best knee surgeon in the world. They reconstructed his whole knee, paid him $2,000 a week. He was out for a year. I worked every fucking night. That's when I went to the York Foundation. Yep. Uh, I didn't make half of what he was making <laughs> in wrestling every night. And then when he came back, if you remember, I when I was in the York Foundation, I watched him on pay-per-view in Washington, D.C. Uh, made him both quit the next day with Smoky Mountain Wrestling. That is absolutely oh. genius. That is that is that is very clever. Uh, it's a great that is a great story. And no, no, 
that's that's standing up for my partner. Yeah. You you, you see what I'm saying? That's the way it is, bud. It's very smart. It's my job to stand up for him. It was my job to take care of him. Even as today, we're old guys, but I still work hard. And I still do Hurricane Karanas. I still do a Canadian Destroyer. And I still take care of him. Uh, okay. We're in this together. Uh, but I was saying, uh, man, if you get a chance, check my son out. Carrie, he was like me. Grew up in the business. He's a good kid. Absolutely good kid. But he's got to get his education first. Uh, nowadays, uh, you can make more money sitting at a desk in WWE than you can taking bumps all your life, especially commentating. Uh, he's a great kid, good talker, helps me out a lot. Get a chance to check him out on my school of Morton on that thing. Matter of fact, me and him are tag teaming tonight right here in my hometown of Bristol, Tennessee. And I never worked here because, you know, they had the mud wrestling around here. You know, the independent wrestlers, it's got about as much business being in the ring as me flying the space shuttle. Uh, uh, but the, tonight is a good promotion, a good show, and him and I are featured on that show tonight, which would be real good. Uh, matter of fact, he has a little angle going with uh, Brian Pillman Jr. A lot of the shows. Uh, are you calling from Ohio? Yes, sir. Yeah, Brian Pillman Jr. Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got a little thing going on, and, and it's really good. You know, me and Brian Pilbin were great friends. Uh, it's sad in our world that he, he didn't get a chance to know his dad, but he's a hell of a kid. He just needs a little direction, a little bit more training, and he's going to be something good. And learned, this is what's wrong too, guys. You got to learn how to take care of yourself. You know, you, uh, you know, I seen not long ago, and don't get me wrong, it's a, a, a father and son team or the, the kid dove off a balcony on it. I mean, yeah, that's exciting. That's not right. But why? But listen to me. Why do that for? You know, it's like I told Brian Pillman Jr. I said, quit doing all this shit. You're going to get, I mean, you're going to get hurt before you, and he already got his knee tore out. I said, you're going to, um, dude, you, I mean, you're a liability. Wait till you get somewhere on, on paper. When you get on paper, for you can, then you start doing stuff like that right there. I mean, on the independent circuit, I mean, you, hell, ever ever match before you's done did it, or ever match after you's done did it. So what are you doing for? The greatest things in the world. This is what keeps me up. Is you know what? Half of your wrestlers in this business don't even know what a headlock routine is. And after you know, and this is what I do. It's you know, I'm on a lot of shows. Nowadays, I'm telling the promoters, yeah, I come in, but I go in the match before intermission, you know, because, the, you know, the first match, I mean, they started off with the suplex off the top rope, you know, before the third match come along, they done shot Hugo out of a cannon 15 times, yeah. and he's kicked out on one, uh, you know, but it's real easy for me. I just go out and do wrestling. I grab a headlocked routine, and I tell these guys, man, when you got the people cheering, I, I, I have to tell heels this all the time. I get in the ring with them, man, and, and the people are cheering, and they keep coming at me. Well, I said, dude, 
don't lock up till the people go down. Hell, we got them. We ain't never going to get them a little higher. We got them right now until we start our match. I mean, leave them alone. Try to get away from me. <laughs> you know, let's keep these people going. See, half of the guys in business don't know how to do that. Don't understand that. The reason I have a wrestling school, I don't have like a toe jury. I don't have the answers to every damn thing. But I know something. I know a little bit about this damn business. Uh, so, I mean, if you're out there, go to a legit wrestling school and learn. And, and just don't go for four weeks. I mean, dude, I, after 48 years in this business, and don't get me wrong, I still learn. I still learn from my students. I still learn things. And in the ring, you always learn things. That's what our business is about. And... uh I can't, you know, I'm, I'm not here. I'm not a frustrated wrestler, but I do understand there's a right way and a wrong way. And damn, man, is it, when you, I, I mean, I just, people like, man, did you watch WWE Monday? No, I don't watch it because it's the same shit I watch every day. You know, it's the same stuff I see. The guys doing the same thing. Every guy looks alike. Hell, I don't know who they are no more. Because they all look alike. Nobody's got a real good gimmick. Nobody's got nothing that stands out. Uh, it's all the same to me, but I mean, uh, I can pitch real good, can't I? <laughs> yeah, I mean, no doubt. And so let me ask you that then. So in, in 93, you guys, in the, in the fall of 93, you, you know, you get to the WWF. Um, at the time, the biggest thing there was. And they, they have you a couple good matches with the Heavenly Bodies. They put you out there, though, in Boston. You know, you're you're there in Boston against the heavily bodies on the uh, Survivor Series pay per view, and the, the crowd sat on their hands. They they put them out. They put you guys in front of you know, Northeast America. You know, first time exposure really, and I, I just don't feel like they gave you a fair shake. Why do you think it didn't really work out in that that brief run in '93 in WWF? Lost in the shuffle, baby. All right, okay, lost in the shuffle, and then again. Politics in our business. There's people that didn't want us there. You hear me? Mm-hmm. Okay. They didn't. They didn't want to do nothing with us, and I knew that. Now, see, if you notice, when we were working on a Smoky Mountain with the Heavenly Bodies, you know, we went in, and, and remember, we. Uh, but see, this whole thing was shooting an angle for Smoky Mountain. Really, uh, they beat us on. Uh, so we did one pay-per-view. We know we tore the house down with them guys up there to me. This is now the WWF thing that that went on. That was the politics. They didn't want us there. But we was in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and uh, Jimmy Del Rey and Tom Pritchard were going to WWF. So uh, we did a thing on there, and, and Cornette, you know, he was working with Vince. We're Smoky Mountain to go there. We had a Smoky Mountain match, and they beat us. So it's Loser Leave Town. If you ever go, go watch this Loser Leave Town in Smoky Mountain, mm-hmm. Pipeville, Kentucky, and watch the finish of this match. Mm-hmm. Because this is what I did. I set this up off WWF, and this is all me and, you know, Jimmy. I was, you know, I have Jimmy in office there. Uh, we did this. So we had the loser leap town in the cage in Pipeville, Kentucky. They already beat us on WWF. Everybody thought that Robert and I were going to get beat. We had to leave Smoky Mountain. Go watch 
watch the match if you yeah, pull it up okay it's on the network yeah but watch the finish the finish is the greatest thing in the world everybody in the bill they're throwing babies in the air <laughs> <laughs> but you know it was great it's on the uh, wwe network they got some smoky mountain uh episodes that's on there yeah watch the one of loser leave town mm-hmm. in pikeville kentucky because we'll the heavenly bodies lost and they went to wwf now after that you know Cornette, farby that and then i you know they closed smoky mountain down but listen to me jimmy still took care of us and he was asking me earlier when we got there they didn't do nothing with us but see to me it didn't matter jimmy got us a job there we wasn't on paper but we had a guarantee of 500 dollars a week that's if he didn't even run. Then we got paid a thousand for with the matches we had. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, hell, you know, I got a check for five hundred dollars a week for four months. I never even wrestled for WWF. Wow. I just went in and did a few shows, and I wasn't on paper. And then you know, I got a letter in the mail that this is ending. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that uh, was all right. Uh, I didn't give a shit. Uh, but that time it was over, you know, you guys, you had your, uh, you know, you had your suckets on top. You think, you think they're going to let me and Robert through that door? Now, you, did you hear what I just said then? Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you very much. What? I mean. Without it, going into details. No, I, I hear you, man. And it is a shame. And, you know, what do you think in the, in the business? Who do you think, like, you know, who are some guys that, you might have felt maybe they're a little overrated. You know, they, they play the politics game better than they could perform in the ring. And who are you, Who do you think are a few guys who never got the shot that they should have? Oh, right. that's just politics. I mean, I'd, I'm going to tell you the most vicious son of a bitch in the world was uh, Johnny Laurinaitis, you know, that worked behind the scenes at WWE and WWF. Mm-hmm. You know, but he's a wicked son of a bitch. He'll cut your throat, stab you in the back. He liked the part of controlling, the part of power. You hear me? Mm-hmm. Well, he could tell you what to do. And that's the reason I didn't last there very long, because I'll tell you what you can suck. <laughs> All right? And it's not it. Uh, uh, you know, that's just the way it was. I, I can't stand stuff like that right there. You know, he's one of the main reasons. Uh, people that didn't ever got a chance is the ones that didn't get along with him. Uh, you know, he'll knock you, get you out of there. You know, uh, Vince don't hardly watch the shit. Vince go, that's the reason he has people under him. You know, when I first met Vince McMahon, uh, this is when he had WWF and he wasn't in all the corporate stuff. Really, the people I hear, you know, you talk about Vince is a good guy. He's a good fella. If you know him on the other side of the fence, you, you see what I'm saying? Uh, after the years, everybody trying to suck up to him and everybody trying to get power play and everybody trying to get this right here. You know, he, you know, he has people that takes care of that. Now he don't have time to put up with your bullshit. He's worried about, you know, hell he makes more money while he sleeps than we ever made in our life. So yeah. it don't matter about that. You know, I remember, uh, we was at a bar one night, man. Vince is there. We're sitting at the table with us. We're drinking Jack Daniels and uh, and taking shots and having a good time. And Vince told me, he goes, you know, I think that I relate 
wrestling fans, and he's telling me this. I said, you relate with the wrestling fans? He says, yeah, I think I do. I said, well, it's tell me something. How much is a gallon of gas? And he goes, well, I don't know. I don't really. I said, let's do something. He just tell how much is a loaf of bread? <laughs> uh, I don't know. And then I told him, I says, and then, I said, when's the last time you took your brother one of your best friends to the methadone clinic. <laughs> okay. And he, he, what the hell are you talking about? I said, you don't relate with shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But I like Vince. You know, he can be an asshole. But he's got a thousand people around it that you got to go through to get to him. You hear me? <laughs> That's the reason you can't have a, you want to have a meeting with Vince? You got to go through a thousand people to get that meeting. And nine out of ten times, it ain't going to fucking happen. <laughs> okay, they didn't tell Vince. But uh, that's the way our business is. But uh, it's like any business. You got your stooges. Uh, you, you know, you got your suck asses. And you got the ones that stand up for what's right. It cost me a lot of money. It cost me a lot of that. But I stood up for what's right. Not only for me, but for the boys. And I guarantee you... That's the reason a lot of them are millionaires right now. You think Eric Bischoff, and don't get me wrong, I like Eric. Eric, you're listening, I like you. Outside of our business. But inside of our business, all you did was try to get yourself over. I mean, what the fuck? Shut up. You know, when you, I mean, when you guys signed yourself, listen to me, I mean, they signed yourself, what, to millions and millions of dollar contracts. Hell, dude, I wanted the job just to, I would have put the fucking ring up if I didn't make it in there. Y'all didn't even give me a chance to do that. That's what I'm talking about. And they still bankrupt a multi-million dollar company. Okay, and that's the reason why? It's because you have people in there that don't know whether to wind their ass or scratch or fucking watch. But... Hey, uh, hello? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, no, no, listen, dude. I, uh, you don't got me on a roll here, got my head hurting. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you get that last question for you, though. You know, yeah, man, you asked me one more, please. Oh, yeah, and this has been great. Thank you so much. Last question for you today. You know, you get in the Hall of Fame, inducted you and, and Robert Gibson in uh, 2017 into the WWE Hall of Fame. How special was that for you? I mean, all the years in the business, did you feel a sense of, you know, peace that day? Okay, stop and think about this. The greatest day in my life was when my first son was born. Okay, I'm serious. Uh, another great day was when Robert and I won the NWA World Tag Team titles for the first time. But then when you're sitting at home and you get a phone call from WWE, you know, I never, I never worked WWE. I hope you know, you know, you understand that. Sure. I work. You get a call from WWE and they tell you we have a hall of fame, but our hall of fame can't be real until the rock and roll express is in it. Okay, now to tell you uh, how did it make me feel, it blew my damn mind. Right now, I'm telling you, I got cold chills on me, and I literally cried. 
on the phone. I literally cried in the, during the induction because I, I had to talk from my heart. Uh, a lot of people I went off script. It's not about that. I can't do a script when something that much means that much to you. Uh, to the wrestling business, it was the greatest thing ever in my life, okay? Uh, to be inducted to the Hall of Fame, I, and it's the unreal thing. Another thing is, is uh, NWA, Billy Corgan, that owns it, put the world tag team titles on us for the ninth time. And really, I, I didn't want to, but I got to say this for Billy. He made me understand and what, we were, what he was doing. And it was really cool. Uh, if up, you know, if this virus didn't happen, NWA, I think it would be one of the most hottest because the, the direction they were going, and I was listening to it because, you know, Billy don't wrestle. At that time when David was with them, he didn't wrestle. They had a lot of stuff that was going on that, that was exciting to me because I just wanted to watch it. It was going to be different great opportunities in my life being 63 years old at that time and they put the world titles on you but it was and, and all the fans out there don't think it was about me it was for a reason that you were going to see later on in the business and you probably will see it but you're going to have to wait to then because if it comes for me it'll be a cold day in hell before I tell you alright hey uh but it has been so great to talk with you today, sir. I want to thank well, you again. I hope, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I'm like a rubber ball. I bounce around. No, you're good. But this is my business, and I love professional wrestling. There's nothing, nothing like it, but you've got to understand it. And then you wrestlers out there, if you don't, I'd come see me. I love to spend a day with a lot of you just to show you a few things that you, that you never even thought about that you never even had a concept about. And then when I talk to you, you don't get to what I'm saying to you for another six months in the business, and you go, son of a bitch, that's what he meant. You see, that's what I meant. It's an absolute pleasure to be on your show. To all the wrestling fans out there, you can check me out on Facebook, School of Morton. Facebook, Ricky Morton. Twitter, The School of Morton. Uh, real Ricky Morton, just check me out, man. Uh, if you if we're in one of your towns, I know I'm gonna be in Ohio a lot. I think coming up in September. Okay. Please come and see me. Okay. Sounds great. You have a great day, and thank you again for coming on the show. Oh man, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Bye bye. And that was Ricky Morton again from the Rock and Roll Express. Everybody have a good day. <laughs>